The key to sustainable leadership lies in the ability to thrive in uncertainty, ambiguity, and change. Grand Heron International brings you the Coaching Assistance Program, giving your employees on-demand coaching to manage through a challenging situation and arrive at a solution. Visit grandheroninternational.ca slash podcast to learn more. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Welcome to the Keep Leading Podcast, a podcast dedicated to promoting leadership development and sharing leadership insights. Here's your host, the Leadership Accelerator, Eddie Turner. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Keep Leading Live. Just as with the Keep Leading podcast, the Keep Leading live stream on YouTube and Facebook is dedicated to leadership development and leadership insights. I'm your host, Eddie Turner, the Leadership Accelerator. I work with leaders to accelerate performance and drive impact through the power of executive and leadership coaching, facilitation, and professional speaking. As a leader, how much attention do you give to building relationships? Some leaders spend a lot of time focusing on the technical aspects of their work. But according to my guest today, they need to spend just as much time on relationships. My guest today has pioneered the phenomenon that relationships are the greatest off-balance sheet asset any organization possesses. Today, we're going to discuss the importance of strategic relationships, especially in this time of crisis. My guest today, you see him there. You can tell he's a podcaster because he's got the setup. My guest today is David Noor. David Noor is the world's foremost authority on relationship economics. He's the author of 10 books, including bestsellers, Relationship Economics, Co-Create, and the forthcoming Curvebenders. David was named to the Global Guru's Top 30 Leadership Professionals list and is one of Marshall Goldsmith's 100 Global Coaches. He is a Forbes, try that again. (laughs) He's a Forbes leadership contributor on the future of work. His insights have been featured in a variety of prominent publications. You'll see David's work in the Wall Street Journal, The New York Times, Fast Company, Huffington Post Business, Entrepreneur, and Knowledge at Wharton. For these reasons and many more, I am super excited to have my friend, David Knorr. David, welcome to Keep Leading Live. Eddie Turner, always good to be with you, my friend. And I understand that uh, friends call you Knorr. (laughs) 
<laughs> lot easier and and uh, easy to remember. We all know way too many Davids. So Nord just kind of rolls off the tongue and it's just easy to remember. Yes, you corrected me on that. And so, but everything in your bio and everything in, in, in the public writing said David. So I said David, but I'll call you Nord for the rest of the episode. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. So strategic relationships in crisis is our topic. We've got a few folks that have joined us. And so we want to say welcome to those who have indeed joined us already. And if you are joining us for the first time or you're returning, please go ahead and say hello. Let us know who you are, that you're out there. Let us know where you're joining us from. Put a question in the comment box if you'd like. And we will take your comments uh, throughout the session. And if you're not already following David Knorr, he is an impressive man. Definitely follow him and uh, connect with him on social media. All right. So tell people a little bit about, if you remember, Knorr, this very special day mm. uh, that, that occurred not long ago. If uh, you give me just a moment, I'd love for you to talk about this. Ah, <laughs> yeah, be careful who you take pictures with, right? So they'll, they'll come back and haunt you. They just, <laughs> that's fabulous. Yeah, what a what a great uh, gathering. Uh, Marshall obviously had us uh, together in San Diego way back in January of 2020, right? When many of us traveled extensively for work and I met this larger than life character <laughs> with with a voice that was that was God given talent and capability for radio and these live events and podcasts. Eddie Turner, who wanted a uh, wanted a picture of us, and of course we're getting photo bombed by somebody in the background. So that was fabulous. What a fabulous gathering! Uh, that is the amazing Marva Sandler, the CEO of WBEX. <laughs> right there, you go. Yeah, that was a day. So I wanted to show that. The good-looking Noor took a picture with me, and uh, we can't stand that close together anymore now these days, right? So for a lot of reasons, that day was really significant. It was the very first um, gathering of the Marshall Goldsmith 100 coaches, so the very first annual meeting. So I just had to share that with our audience, let everybody know what a great day that was. Fabulous. It really was a great couple of days, and uh, great to see a lot of lot of friends and make make a lot of new ones. Indeed, indeed. So let's talk about, if uh, if you will, this idea about uh, relationship economics. You are the world's foremost authority on this. So share with my listeners, please, what that is. Sure. So, Adi, uh, as you may recall our conversation, uh, I'm convinced part of it is uh, nature, kind of where I was born and how I was raised. And the equally valuable part is nurture. So uh, for your audience who may not know as much about my background, I'm originally from Iran, uh, came to the U.S. in 1981 with a suitcase, 100 bucks, didn't know anybody, didn't speak a word of English. Um, and I wrote in relationship economics that I didn't get it then, but I certainly get it now, that my dad walking me through bazaars of Iran at a very young age wasn't just about you know a checklist of errands we had to run or things mom needed to the house. Dad also had a relationship list. And it was a fantastic opportunity to go around and really visit with relationships he deemed particularly valuable to our lives at that moment. Fast forward now a whole bunch of years and having lived and worked extensively abroad, Eddie, it dawned on me that the rest of the world builds relationships first 
from which they do business. Mm. Unfortunately, as Americans or many Western cultures and Western business climates in particular, we're so focused on the business part that if and only if the business part works, then we'll think about investing in the relationship. Then we think about really engaging on a more human one-on-one level. And I learned years ago, there will always be a competitor with deeper pockets. There will always be a competitor with a better product or better service. There will always be somebody who's going to want to sell it cheaper than I do. Yes. But nobody's going to out-hustle me. Nobody's going to outwork me. And nobody's going to build deep and wide relationships like I would. So uh, when I left the corporate world uh, and my, my career has been in several different phases, I'm actually 95 years old. You may not recognize that. I look <laughs> fabulous for 95. But, you know, throughout my career, uh, I, I was very, always very intentional about the relationships I chose to invest in. And as I left the corporate world and decided to go on my own, uh, which is now what is something I coach people that I work with, I went on a listening tour and I asked 35 executives that I like, respect, trust. I said, what do you believe I do exceptionally well? And they said, you network, in their words, better than anybody else we've ever met. If you can teach other people how to do that, you'll succeed. Mm-hmm. So for the last two decades, that's been my life's work in both understanding, but also capturing and in books and workshops and speeches, disseminating this idea that relationships are more than just the soft skill. Relationships are more than just the nice to have. They can be quantified. They should be intentional. They must be strategic. And I would submit they are an individual's biggest asset. Beyond your educational foundation, beyond your professional pedigree, the the quality, the diversity, and really the depth of the relationships you build, as evident by now the fact that we can't see each other in person, become a very sustainable differentiator. Indeed. I like how you explain that, that, Noor, and the idea that we must be intentional and strategic uh, about building these relationships and not leaving them to happenstance. And you said you learned this from your dad back home. Uh, Absolutely. So dad was the nature part, right? So dad, Mm -hmm. again, had a relationship list and we made sure those for, you know, Friday bazaars, we went and saw whether it was, you know, access to a, you know, plumber we needed at the house or an influential politician. Dad was very intentional about those individuals. Fast forward again, beyond my education, beyond early careers and early jobs, you also see that in work. So I think most of the audience would agree the best jobs, the, you know, the promotions, the best accounts, the opportunities uh, seldom come from just our performance. They often come from our relationships. They often come from relationships we invest in. Eddie, that's one thing. The other thing that I think would be really useful for your audience to hear is sociologists tell us that an average individual can proactively manage about 100 to 150 relationships. The million million dollar wow. question, million dollar question for most of us is which ones, and, <laughs> right? And how do you know? And right. If you, if you can't invest in everybody equally, how do you then prioritize which relationships you're going to invest in? So, so unfortunately, again, a lot of people do it. Think of salespeople who only talk to people that are prospects, or project professionals who only talk about people that are on immediate projects, or. Uh, you know, startups that only talk to, you know, their, their immediate people that would be potential investors. You're leaving 
a much broader swath of incredible relationships kind of unnurtured um, because you don't think they are, they're immediately relevant. And what makes people believe that they're not immediately relevant, Nor? It's that immediate transaction in front of them, right? So, Eddie, I've got to, I've got to close a sale. So all, the only people I'm going to talk to are the people that are my immediate prospects. Well, what about those other relationships that either may not be immediate prospects, but there could be referral sources. There could be, you know, much bigger opportunities, mid or longer term. And if you're not nurturing those, I jokingly tell people, somebody else is dating your girlfriend. Right? <laughs> somebody else, somebody else is nurturing those relationships that are on your blind spots. But because you're so transactionally focused, you don't tend to spend a lot of attention. You don't spend a lot of focus on those. And what's the reaction when you use that illustration with people? Uh, it's typically a, a chuckle. They get the sense. And then a bit of concern sets in of, oh my gosh, what relationships am I leaving neglected? No, Which it's is, a good illustration. That's why I ask. It's funny, but it's so true. It's very apropos. Right. And and we often, you know, think of year, you know, end of the year, right? We're mm -hmm. always excited about relationships that are all around us. Very few people really think about on a consistent basis, what relationships am I neglecting? Mm -hmm. Which ones are critical to my personal and professional growth? Which ones are critical to my success that it's not lack of intention. It's not lack of interest. It's really bridging that intention to action, right? Mm -hmm. So having a systematic disciplined process that says, I'm going to touch base. I'm going to touch base on a regular basis. I'm going to add value with every interaction and I'm going to make sure I'm on top of mine. Well said. Well said indeed. And uh, it looks like you have a, uh, at least one person here that agrees with what you said there, which I think you said really well. Uh, let's look at uh, Lauren Sanders. She says that's where she got hers as well from her dad. So she agrees with what you said. Thank you for chiming in, Lauren, letting us know that uh, she is listening is what she says there. <laughs> so thank you for listening and thank you for chiming in with what David said, Lauren. David Lawhorn, thank you for listening and chiming in uh, and saying Eddie is phenomenal. Thank you. Daryl Chandler. Daryl Chandler, that's somebody, if I'm not mistaken, I, I grew up with in grade school. So, Daryl, thank you for tuning in. We haven't talked in at least 30 years. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, one last comment. Looks like we got here and we appreciate Mary Ann. Always so supportive. Thank you for tuning in, Mary Ann. Please, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to say hello. Uh, tell us where you're from. Love to hear uh, what you think about David and what he is saying. Follow David online. And what we're going to do here is just do a, a brief insert for the audio version of this that will be coming out in about a month. We'll have more with David Noor right after this. This podcast is sponsored by Eddie Turner, LLC. Organizations who need to accelerate the development of their leaders call Eddie Turner the Leadership Accelerator. Eddie works with leaders to accelerate performance and drive impact. Call Eddie Turner to help your leaders one-on-one -on -one as their coach or to inspire them as a group through the power of facilitation or a keynote address. Visit eddieturnerllc.com to learn more. Hi, this is Sally Helgeson. I am an author and leadership coach, and you are listening to the Keep Leading Podcast with Eddie Turner. We're back, and my guest today is David Noor. He is an impressive gentleman. You will find his information everywhere. Open up the Wall Street Journal, open up Forbes. He is there. He's one of the world's top gurus. 
According to global gurus, he's in the top 30, and he's the world's foremost relationship economics expert. Very kind. <laughs> so just to get a little bit more information uh, from you on that, uh, Noor, I want to understand about where we are in the stream of time. There, there's a lot of people talking about where will we be when we come out of the crisis that we're facing. Mm. And someone said something very brilliant the other day, and that was innovation is one of the things that we see emerge from a crisis, new products, new services. And so when we're thinking about relationship economics, what role would they play with eco- with uh, innovation? Yeah, I would submit that your relationships said earlier are, are your biggest asset. And, and Eddie, if you think about it, um, and you and I are involved in Marshall's community and we get on daily calls and, and different experts you know, come by or, or different people jump in with their unique perspective. So one, a diverse portfolio of relationships right now would help you see this, this same set of challenges from very different lenses, different perspectives. So again, based on geography, based on your role, based on your industry, getting different points of view dramatically tightens the aperture, tightens the lens in which we see scenarios through. That's number mm-hmm. one. Number two, I've always believed relationships can become phenomenal, what I call faint market signal scouts. Let me faint explain. market signal scouts. Right? So you talk to uh, Lauren and she says, that's interesting. Here's something I'm seeing. If Lauren is the only person that mentions to you, you think that might be an anomaly. Then you talk to David and Daryl and Eddie and Mary Ann, very different walks of life. And you hear maybe not the exactly the same thing, but you hear similar iterations of it. Now that can't be a coincidence. Now what you're doing is you're getting these faint market signals from a very broad base of relationships. And Eddie, that should be the opening funnel to innovation opportunities for you. Because now they're seeing there's a need. Now you're seeing a broad base need. Now your relationships may have a potential solution or certainly potential approach to solving that problem. So your relationships become not only a radar to identify needs, but also potential opportunities to fill those needs. And and again, there's also a, a reason, third point, in terms of innovation relationships, there's a reason restaurants do a, or used to, when we used to go to restaurants, yes. they, would do, they would do the soft opening, mm-hmm. right? In a soft opening, they typically invite family and friends. And if we're going to burn something on the menu or if it's going to be late or if it's going to be, let's do that with, you know, friendly fire versus, <laughs> versus the, you know, the food critic from New York Times, right? Right. So relationships are also a phenomenal opportunity for us to test our ideas. So, I coach a lot of executives in terms of creating a portfolio approach to their innovation, specifically their business models. And your relationships become fantastic testing grounds for, Eddie, here's a new service. Here's a new product. Here's a new uh, approach to doing something. Since you and I are friends, since you and I have a relationship, what do you think? And, And the beautiful part about that scenario is it doesn't have to be perfect doesn't have to be completely built, doesn't have to be, uh, you know, doesn't have to have a bow on it. Relationships forgive those kinds of things, particularly if they're also friends, because you can present that product or service and say, here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? And they often dramatically improve, help us shape and improve the final product that we come up with. 
Absolutely. Very well said. And uh, going back to something you said earlier, I want to add uh, the relationships that we've been able to build uh, as a part of the Marshall Goldsmith 100 Coaches family. So I get a chance to listen to uh, great people like you every morning. And that's one of the reasons I invited you on the show. I love your insights and what you bring to the organization. I'm the new kid on the block. So <laughs> I'm just kind of soaking it all in. But uh, you're one of the originals. And so definitely love what you do there. Very kind. And listen, I, I think we all learn, uh, you know, Marshall's driven into us and as that, I think my dad said something similar years ago. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. <laughs> and I think we all show up on those calls and we're humbled yes. by former, you know, secretaries and presidential administrations and biopharma CEOs and president of European companies and just the caliber of, of the folks that show up on those calls. And that's a testament to not just, you know, you and me and Marshall, but I think everybody mm -hmm. has that ecosystem, has relationships they can all learn from. Unfortunately, you don't see them really build that community and leverage that community for opportunities to learn and grow. Indeed. And it's easy to start to take something like that for granted and not nurture it or just be one of, as opposed to what we're, you're teaching us in this idea of developing those relationships, nurturing them and being very intentional about them. Absolutely. And again, you and I've, you know, we've learned that I'm a big believer of just like a brand, mm -hmm. just like your reputation, just like, you know, uh, credibility. The relationships are a soft asset that unfortunately we don't recognize, invest in, protect, develop, market, as proactively as we could. And speaking of branding, I love what you've done with this concept of relationship economics. You've branded it. You've, uh, you own that phrase. That is your phrase. And you've put together a nice ecosystem of related uh, words that tie into your framework. I, I like your ROI. Your ROI, in fact, I want to show just a couple of these, and you can probably tell our audience a little bit about this. Because uh, you've got you've written books on each one of these, uh, so talk about a little bit your branding and how that has built into this relationship concept. Sure. So as I mentioned earlier, as I went out to my my uh, my relationship ecosystem and I said, you know, tell me what do you believe I do well? They said, you know, networking. Uh, Eddie, I've always cringed at this idea of networking because a it's number one, one letter away from not working. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, it's incredibly transactional, right? It's about, you know, and there's a lot of material out there about how to get business cards and give business cards and quote unquote worker room. And, uh, you know, candidly, it makes most people cringe and because it really comes across as, you know, inauthentic, right? It doesn't come across or it comes across as agenda driven or manipulative in some ways. So I wanted to a, get away from networking. So, so I talk a lot about building and sustaining really value-based relationships. And in that process, I, as I, as I you know, went out there and listened to a lot of folks, read a lot of information, interacted with a lot of different people, um, I started to use this term of relationship currency. So what, with every one of these, and, and, you're, and you're right, what I've done well is I've codified, and people are kind enough to read my material and say, Yes, I'm showing these for people now on the screen. For those yeah. who are who are uh, uh, tuned in with us live, you'll see David's books and uh, what he's done in terms of this deep knowledge. And 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 people have said you've codified, you've given terminology to what I understood, but I could never put words around it. So mm -hmm. relationship currency is like cash; it has immediate value. 
you you exchange that currency, you do a favor for somebody, they'll they'll reciprocate. That's an exchange of relationship currency. Over time, you'll build your reputation capital, like your home. It has a relative value, and you you know you can have a beautiful home, but if it's in a bad or tough neighborhood, you're gonna have a hard time selling that home, right? So. The, the reputation heavily comes from not just what you do, but others you associate with. And then over time, you develop what we call your professional net worth. You have professional assets. You have professional relationship liabilities. You ideally want the assets to be greater than the liabilities. So the people you hire, the people that carry your business card, the people that you call your colleagues, your customers, your partners, all, believe it or not, are contributing to that relationship you know, asset. So I carried those ideas under the umbrella of relationship economics. And then from there, somebody asked me, well, is there a, a return? You talk about relationships being an investment. Is there a return on that? So I started thinking about return on your relationships and return on the impact you make with your relationships. That became a subsequent book. Um, you, you always hear about some people who are better connectors than others. Mm-hmm. So uh, with David, Dr. David Ryback and Jim Cathcart, we wrote uh, connectability. And there were eight attributes that people that connect uh, much more effectively and Im- impactfully uh, leverage those. In the Entrepreneur's Guide to Raising Capital, I wrote about the fundamental difference between smart capital, which is relationship-centric, and dumb capital, people will just write you a check. So Every one of my my work over the years have all been not just identifying that relationships are important, but really helping my audience bridge that importance to their significance with applications of relationships. Bridging that, that importance to their significance. I like that. I also like what you said. I never thought about it like this, Nor, that networking is one word away from not working. <laughs> One letter, absolutely. Uh, one letter, sorry, yes. <laughs> and you and I have met people who, again, with all good intentions, go to a lot of lunch meetings and coffee meetings, and 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 yet they have nothing to show for it. And and again, those are the same transactional mindsets that in the midst of this crisis, when we physically can't meet, mm-hmm. they're in trouble because all they ever did was kind of have those touch points, but they didn't really follow through, which is a process not just follow up, which is a transaction. Follow through, which is a process, versus follow up, which is a transaction. Absolutely. Very key to remember. And uh, Jordan Thomas has joined us. He says, hi, David. Hi, Eddie. And he said that he's never thought of that until now as well. So also someone else who you are resonating with. Jordan is a big supporter of the Keep Leading Live uh, stream and Keep Leading Podcast. Delighted, delighted, Jordan. Glad you're here. And for the rest of our audience, I'd welcome more of your your comments and questions as well. Let's talk about the future of work. A lot of folks are thinking about where we will be on the other side of the COVID-19 crisis. And uh, your work uh, around this topic really seems to lend itself nicely to the future of work. What's your thought on this? Sure. So uh, again, uh, for the last 20 years, I've spent uh, my life's work has been on uh, applications of strategic relationships to different facets of business, right? So co-creation in relationship economics, I, you know, I really set the stage and I explained why they're important and how to be more, again, intentional, strategic, and quantifiable. In co-create, I talked about applications of relationships to innovation, innovating products, services, and business models. Curve Benders is really my Star Wars trilogy. And it's the next book 
really at the nexus of future of work and this idea of strategic relationships. And Eddie, um, uh, full disclosure, I'm 52. I've been thinking a lot about the next realistically 20 years, right? Okay. So the next 20 years, if I want to continue to stay active in, in, in business, what will that work look like? And I think we're seeing a lot of those examples in midst of this COVID-19 where our professional roles and our personal obligations are blurring. So we're going from work-life balance to work-life blending. And it's one example. So COVID-19 is an example of a black swan event. Things that we know are possible. Uh, we don't often think they're probable. And we certainly can't predict when they're going to happen. So we knew what a pandemic was. Mm -hmm. Just no one expected, you know, this market or this lab in China would shut down the global economy. Right. Mm -hmm. So yes. we've identified 15 forces through our research that we believe will dramatically impact the way we work, the way we live, the way we play and the way we give. Nice. Those forces, right, like geopolitics, like mm -hmm. uh, various economies, like volatility, those will all impact those facets of our lives to remain relevant we all have to continue to learn and grow personally and professionally. That growth curve for most of us is a very linear curve. And I'm going to take you and your audience back to, you know, algebra in high school, right? A linear curve is just got a simple slope of rise Bad over Bad memories for me, Dave. I Bad know, memories. I know. We all, <laughs> we, we, all, we all had more hair back then, right? So so it was, it was a linear curve for most of us, right? We learn, yes. we grow. My supposition is that a certain relationships come into our lives who dramatically begin to shift that curve, fundamentally changing, profoundly changing both our direction and destination. Mm. So million dollar question, who are these curve benders, right? Where are they? How do we meet them? Much more importantly, how do you become one? Mm, how, do you, yes. how do you change someone else's life in many ways like Marshall is doing for us, right? Yes. Not, not just what we're able to accomplish, but Eddie, who we become. And I called those relationships, again, curve benders. By the way, there's also uh, some negative relationships that may take us in a different <laughs> direction. I, I call those fender benders. Right? So <laughs> you, you want less fender benders in your life and you want more curve benders in your life. Indeed. And speaking of curve benders, tell my audience about uh, where they can learn more about curve benders, not just your book, but also. Yeah. So uh, we have a podcast. Uh, yes. So a lot of my contemporaries, as Eddie was kind enough to mention, curve benders will be book number 11. A uh, lot of my contemporaries will write a book and I've done it as well. And most of us will talk about our books after they come out. I've always learned as much about my books uh, after they come out because people will read them and they'll challenge your assumptions and they'll ask questions of you and they want to know more. So with this one, I said, I've been researching it for about four years. I have six grad students that are doing social science research for me. I said, why don't I get some of these ideas out now before the book comes out and let's see what resonates. Let's see what people push back on. So I'm elated that between our blog and the podcast, I'm sharing a lot of the insights about the book well in advance. And it's really sh helping me shape the key ideas I want to talk about and prioritize. 
And I suspect that that is giving you a, a bit of a more real-time flavor in the book that will make it even resonate with people even more. Absolutely. So for any of you audience members who know anything about book publishing, you know, you think of an idea. And by the way, Jordan says he's definitely going to check out your book, as does Lauren Sanders. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I pay Eddie Turner $1 for every nice person. <laughs> $1 for every nice person that, that he introduces me to. Um, so most of us, you know, for your audience, you think about an idea, you research it, you write the book. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. the book publishing world, commercial publishing, Eddie, that book doesn't, as you know, doesn't come out for another 12 to 18 months. So yeah. you've got to, in some ways, be a futurist and, and write about something that is that far ahead. Well, with this idea of future of work, it is very real time. And think about it. If I had written this before COVID-19, I would have had to rewrite a lot of the book about how it's dramatically changing our lives. Indeed. Now I'm living it real time and we're adapting to this new norm that I actually don't believe we're going to go back to the way things were. I think almost like unfortunately post 9-11, we're going to adapt to some new behaviors and new products and services and ways of interacting with one another that will become part of our new norm. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Lauren uh, Sanders said that you are hilarious. Uh, you're making her laugh and making the interview lively. She's enjoying the interview. Thank you for weighing in, Lauren. I'm enjoying this interview. This is uh, definitely one of my favorites. Uh, I can tell you, tell you that, Nor. Tell us, if you would, please, the best piece of leadership advice you've ever received or a quote that stands out that helps you to keep leading. Absolutely. So I'm a big believer of you can never uh, be too old or too young to uh, find mentors or become a mentor. And one of my mentors, Eddie, must have been 15, 20 years ago, told me very succinctly to throw away my stopwatch and get a compass. Throw away your stopwatch and get a compass. And as you can imagine, I, I, I gave him that deer in the headlight look. Right? He's like, wait, what? What it was saying is I've always had this incredible bias for action, right? Okay. I want to do, I want to go. And with a ton of energy, you want to go, 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 let's go get things done. So his take was, doesn't matter how fast you do something. Does it that stopwatch? You're not, you're not in the combine, right? You're not running that 440, right? So throw away the stopwatch for a second. Pause that need to either be in a hurry or, or get things done as quickly as possible and get a compass that would give you a stronger direction about where you're going, how you're gonna get there. Which means take a step back, be more intentional about your planning. None of us could have, could have possibly seen this pandemic, again, shutting down the global economy. So although you can't predict your future, and this is a key idea I talk about in Curve Benders, you can absolutely plan for it. So what lessons are you learning through this journey? What uh, experiences are highlighting your, your really strong assets? Mm -hmm. and, and by the way, a good economy hides a lot of organizational flaws and leadership shortcomings. So I think what's happening now when our economy is taking a bit of a dip, how do we learn from those and really apply them at the very next opportunity? Thank you. I like that. And I want to share something with you, Noor. All the other comments I gave you came in from Facebook, but I have one that's come in from YouTube. Ariana asked the question, 
Could can you comment on ways for a young person, a young person entering this market to leverage digital connections and networking to get ahead once the markets recover? So Ariana, thanks for that question. Let me let me let me challenge a couple of your assumptions. Uh, I've had close to 60 conversations with senior executives. Uh, most believe COVID-19 is is here to stay for a while. Uh, number two, as I said, less thinking of we're going to go back to the way things were and more about adapting to new ways. Number three, uh, digital, this has become an incredible impetus for digital to become much more prevalent in all of our lives. So the single best way I know how to do what you're asking to do, which is a conversation Eddie and I had in a couple minutes ago about with every relationship, with every contact, you have one of two options. You can either enhance that relationship or you can dilute it. The way I like to enhance every interaction is to add value. So knowing what you know about your particular area of expertise. So number one, uh, pick a lane, pick a swim lane, right? Really develop your expertise in a, in a particular area so Ariana becomes the go-to person for that particular area. Uh, because most, most people uh, are not just saying, hey, go get me the same guy that does my lawn to become my surgeon, right? We Most of us look for specialists in different parts of our lives. And I often coach people, you cannot date everybody. You cannot be everything to everybody. So if you become a, 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 a really a, a focused specialist in an area, then you become the go-to person for that particular area of expertise. And if you add value with every interaction, those who get it, those who value it will seek you out, will want more of you, will want more of that which you bring. And you start to build relationships based on that value add, not just because Ariana is a really nice person. I hope that makes sense. I hope that adds value. Thank you. And uh, Jordan Thomas uh, chimed in again, said that he is sharing this out so other people can benefit. Thank you for doing that. One final question uh, we'll ask you to uh, take. Uh, Ariana has another follow-up question. How would you advise companies to structure intentional networking for their new hires? Great, Ariana. Great, great point. Uh, I've actually sat through several uh, what you know company onboarding programs, right? So when you first join, they tell you all about the products. They tell you all about their services. Here's our competitive landscape. Here's everything you'd ever want to know about an industry and very little about here are the relationships you need to succeed inside our organization, inside your department, inside your function, inside the organization, as well as external to it. So I believe, and again, you use networking. I, I keep saying relationships uh, that are truly transformational, not just a transaction. So let me give you some specifics. I've always liked a buddy system. So imagine a new hire, uh, almost like a mentor, internal mentor program when they first start. What if for the first six months, they had somebody to be their relationship mentor, somebody to kind of show them the ropes. Let me introduce you to Eddie. Let me introduce you to Lauren. Let me introduce you to Jordan. These are the people you need to succeed, right? Number one. Number two, what if they created uh, proactive opportunities for different silos to meet others? Imagine how many people are exchanging, especially in a large organization, we exchange emails with or get on conference calls with, and we don't know anything about them. Ariana, last time I checked, people will prioritize relationships they know and they like and they trust and they respect. 
So giving more disparate parts of the organization chance to get to know other departments and functions and silos will go a long way. The third one is, as I said earlier, I think our work-life balance amid this COVID-19 is blurring into uh, more like a, a, a work-life blending. So what if organizations right, gave people an opportunity to get to know each other on a, on a personal level, right? So could, you know, some companies are now doing cocktails and questions, you know, happy hours or coffee and questions uh, or other opportunities for, especially since our families are now in our home offices and we're all working from home, right? What a great opportunity to meet your spouse and see your kids and get to know that non-work side of you. Excellent. Thank you, Noor, for taking time to answer these questions. And thank you to Lauren and everybody else, uh, Jordan Thomas uh, and uh, Marianne, David Lawhorn, David Chandler. Thank you for everybody who has left a comment for us and been an active part of this live stream. And we see a bunch of other likes and uh, things like that showing up as well. I don't see the names on those just yet, but thank you all. Noor, where can people learn more about you and stay connected to you? Sure. So the easiest place is our website, just my, or my, you know, my last name, N-O-U-R group.com is the best way. Or you can just Google my name, David Noor, N-O-U-R, and you'll find articles. We have a pretty extensive blog. As Eddie was kind enough to mention, the Curve Benders podcast is growing. It's, it's audience. Uh, I'm passionate about creating. We've got uh, several webinars that are coming up that are all free. So great opportunity to learn and grow through our ideas. It's just our website, norgroup, N-O-U-R group.com. Outstanding. Well, thank you for sharing that. We're going to put that in the show notes for the regular episode when it airs in, a, in about a month or so. We'll put this out as a regular audio, but everybody can still have access to the video. This is obviously live on YouTube, live on Facebook. It will live there, and we're going to make this available to the folks on LinkedIn. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, Nor. Thank you so much for being a guest on Keep Leading Live. Eddie, it was great to be with you. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening. That concludes this episode, everyone. I'm Eddie Turner, the Leadership Accelerator, reminding you that leadership is not about your title or your position. Leadership is action. Leadership is activity. It's not the case of once a leader, always a leader. We must be a leader at our core and allow it to emanate in all we do. So whatever you're doing, always keep leading. Thank you for listening to your host, Eddie Turner, on the Keep Leading Podcast. Please remember to subscribe to the Keep Leading Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. For more information about Eddie Turner's work, please visit eddieturnerllc.com. Thank you for listening to C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.